So hi, I'm Richard Lang and I'm here with my friend Amaranato. And Amaranato I have known for many years and first met him when he was a monk at Amravati Buddhist Monastery in England. And uh, while I have known him, he has left the order and uh, he came across headlessness whilst he was still a monk. So there are lots of interesting things to talk about, about uh, Amaranato's experience of uh, meditation, Buddhism, headlessness, coming out of the order. So welcome, Amaranato. Uh, lovely to be with you, Richard. Yeah, really great. lovely. Yeah, <laughs> great to see you. And uh, we did do an interview years ago, actually, at one of the Salisbury gatherings, uh, which was a, a video interview, which is on our YouTube channel. And there you were a monk still. Let me uh, just set the ball rolling by asking you just to introduce yourself, give a bit of background and one of the questions that I'm curious about is why you went into the monkhood, why you became a Buddhist monk. But you could perhaps sort of just give a, an idea of, of what led up to that and, and uh, where you're coming from. Yeah, I can do that. So just as a preparatory for this talk uh, we're doing, I actually listened to that podcast. I listened to that video and watched it. And it was very interesting to see myself there in my robes I've been out of the robes now seven years and that was already a few years before that experience and just to see um the youngness of my of of the way that I was speaking then uh, wow. so I, it's really interesting to be able to explore this with you um so my journey into um being a monk in a way is was a journey of um a sort of reverse of the way people do life which is I was very successful at a young age uh, and I worked in the computer industry uh, around um, 21 and uh, traveled all around Europe uh, in that job um, and then I was made redundant um, in the 80s I think that was I went to university and I got a degree in artificial intelligence um, which and I realised I didn't want to work in the computer industry again. I'd, I'd already had all that success in a way. So my my goal was to go travelling. And so that's what I did. I went travelling for uh, nearly four years around the world. So you were how old at this point? Roughly? I was, yes. Yeah, so I was about 20. Uh, when I started travelling, I was about 24 or 25. I went to university as a mature student, Sussex University. And um, so on that traveling gig, if you like, so I was hitchhiking. I hitchhiked mostly, nearly pretty much around the world. Um, uh, and uh, I wanted to experience meditation. You know, that was part, you know, bungee jumping, meditation, you name it. I was going to do it type of thing. And I'd already had it. Were you interested in spirituality? Uh, that's a whole story in <laughs> itself. How so long I, have you got? <laughs> how long have you got? Yeah. Okay. So we'll do, we'll do a little bit. We'll do a side step into that, if that's all right. Yeah. Which is yeah. So I was brought up Jewish, and I was quite um, strongly into Judaism, um, and um, and I sort of lost my faith when I was a teenager. I just I got the mitzvah, which is this Jewish rites of passage, yeah. and the rabbi said to me, he said to me, a person that 
sung you sung so well but the person that sung so well like that he, he they left the tradition it's as if he knew something oh. and uh why so, did you leave uh i think because now i can say but in the in in the beginning there i couldn't get the tradition to work i couldn't get the technology to work i couldn't find god i, could, I didn't didn't know where it was you sound or, like a computer engineer i can't get it to work yeah, it was it was like that. I mean, that's the interesting thing about going into computers as well and having that sort of rational mind and not being really connected to one's emotions or understanding of that. So this whole travel journey in a way, you know, that's why I studied artificial intelligence even because in order to make computers like humans, you have to understand what humans are. So in a way, it was a journey into myself. And, and, you, the, were, and you probably at some level felt you were out of balance. Yes. Oh, I was totally, I was more than out of balance. I was a very unhappy teenager and, and a very, very, very unhappy young man. Very unhappy. And, uh, and these were all extreme moves to try to sort of rectify that. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to recalibrate myself. So that whole sense of like God left me, you know, or I left God, or I don't know, really. I mean, it was a mixture of both things. So it was a it was a really painful and difficult time of my life. M most of my teenage years and young adulthood, including traveling, was just uh, uh, really confrontational with myself. Did you travel you know, on your own? I did. I traveled on my own and I did really extreme things like I traveled most of the way across America hitchhiking. You know, I traveled all the way around Australia hitchhiking. I lived in a tent that was no bigger than two foot high like living in a coffin and I never st I rarely I never stayed in a hotel I, n I never stayed I rarely stayed in the backpackers except for in Asia you know I mean I could I could go on we could cover just the you know our, our time together just in that period and what I experienced you, you know you were I, quite self um, you know you were independent in a way so, yeah, totally. Oh, fiercely, you know, I, I was one of the few people that went independently, illegally into Tibet. You know, there was only a handful of people that have ever really did that at that time in history. You know, at that time, you know, I travelled illegally in from China around the sort of the back way into Tibet and sat on a truck for three days being sat on top of mainly because they were hiding me to get to Tibet. You know, right. I did, yeah, and, and, and I... And what did you do in Tibet? I, I was on this mission, you know, I was on this mission to, to find myself and find out what the meaning of life is. But, but actually before that, before that experience, you know, I was in Australia and uh, I was trying to earn money um, to, to keep going with the travelling. And uh, I found this telephone sales job in Perth, in Australia, um, working for a, for, a, for a drug rehabilitation centre. Anyway, I, I made loads of money out of it. It was quite um, unethical in a way because I got 50% of the money. But uh, um, And I didn't, I didn't want to... Uh, I wanted to save my money. So what I did was I used to sneak back in the evening and sleep on the floor of the business. And of, mm. course, they, of course they caught me, you know. But there was a very generous man there and he said, why don't you come and stay in my house? So I slept on his couch whilst I was making this money. And uh, 
in his in his library he had one very thin book um, and I just picked it open and it said meditation and I said to him I said you know when I go to India I'm going to learn about this I'm going to I'm going to do this he says oh you don't have to go to India he says how we get these um, drug addicts they were mothers um, of their addiction yeah is we give them a 10-day meditation course and I can do that for you I can arrange that so mm. he so so I said that's really great I'd really like to do that and I didn't really have an idea what I was letting myself in for it just had a load of tick boxes uh, you can't talk you can't take writing paper you know it's a very extreme strict thing was it a goenka one it was yeah it was a, yeah. <laughs> it was there, a, done that never yes <laughs> yes so there's a whole story with that as well so and and basically I finished this work and I went out and I went hitchhiking again and in Australia there's these massive gold mines and I hitch out to a place called Kalgoorlie which is a long yeah. way from Perth it's a yeah. 600 miles away and I was hitchhiking out of Perth oh sorry out of Kalgoorlie to come back to Perth and this big truck pulls up opens the door he says can you can you drive a truck I said yeah of course I could drive a truck you know I'm not sure I could actually but I said I said I could he says get in I need a truck I need a driver now you know um, to take this truck so he got in another truck I got in and I started driving this truck down 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 I didn't know where really but anyway we ended up I don't know four hours in the middle of nowhere it was to this massive gold mine where they were doing a drilling rigs and the guy said to me he said you know you know you seem like a nice guy I need I need a driver and I need somebody to help me would you mind um, would you would you be willing to stay I'll give you um, I think it was either six or eight hundred dollars a week to, to work in this gold mine so I calculated it up and I thought, that's a lot of money you know you're gonna get a lot of money in a short period of time and I looked at him and I said uh, no I can't do that I've got to go and do this meditation course <laughs> and uh, so I went back I did this meditation course this 10-day meditation course which is all right it was a Goenka course which is pretty strict and they kept coming up to me and they're saying uh, uh, you keep smiling and laughing and you seem to be very happy and everybody around you's unhappy and usually people really suffer on these courses yeah. but you you seem to be uh lapping it up I said I found what I'm looking for oh. this is it this is it and what was it you'd found I don't I, I, I it just it, I'd really found peace in actually really yeah. in, at that point I'd, I'd I could completely understand my mind of how it was working at that point in time not not now but at that point in time yeah. It, yeah. And, it, and, and I got what I got was very pleasant very very pleasant sensations and a release of suffering that I'd never experienced in my life and um, that must have been a, a, a wonderful experience for you. it was just it was the most amazing thing I remember after leaving that course and eating an orange and it was so blissful it was so yeah. amazing it was incredible experience and I committed then to living an ethical life I followed mm. The five Buddhist precepts from then on. I was supposed to be going to Bangkok and have a good time, and I committed to meditating every day. Whilst I was travelling, which I which I pretty much did do. And so, so did you then? Is that when after that you went up to China and Tibet? Yeah, yeah. 
I, I actually, when I look back now, I actually followed a really Buddhist route, you know, because I also went to other, I mean, I went all over Asia. So I went to Indonesia and Malaysia and yeah, you know, lots of places. I was following this Buddhist route in a way. I mean, and then after Tibet, I stayed along. To, so what, in you Tibet, mean going from temple to temple or something? Not temple to temple so much, but I did do a lot of Goenka courses. So I, I, did, a, I did another 10 day course in Thailand. Yeah, and then I I went to I got I went to Nepal, and the Nepalese center was so beautiful, so inspiring, that I I I lived and ran and and became managers of the courses. I lived in that center for, I think, if I'm right, maybe four or five months, yeah. and I didn't leave the center. I left the center once. All I did was back to back ten day courses, and I. I only sat one ten-day course, and I and served. Were, were, were uh, Westerners there? Was it? A Western? Yeah, Westerners, and it was very hardcore. It was uh, full of a lot of Israeli ex-army people oh. that were intense suffering, and I used to be up all night with some of them. They were really in bad shape, and the course was extremely intense. You know, these are really intense courses, and they were really big. You know, there was lot. You know, there was a. 150 people but uh, um, but I learned a lot about applying Vipassana the Goenka what did, what technique. What did you learn then? Well you, you know you learn how to really let go and you learn how to use your you know the the sense of awareness of of vibrations of body sensations to really look after yourself but in the process what that did was it 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 what I would call it defrosted me so he defrosted me really big and I, you know, I saw some really quite amazing peak experience things. Uh, and both. is that because when you attend to uh, pain and you really attend to it, then it changes? Well, when you attend to pain, there isn't any. Yes. So that's it, it a defrosting is, in a way. Yeah, you defrost. And I defrosted a huge amount of my own personal in that process because you're, you know, when you're serving others, you're... In a way, you're you're letting go of yourself. You know, you're not paying attention to your so much. Of course, there's a dual awareness in that, which is that you, you know, you can observe your own feelings whilst being with others. But at that point in time, I was just defrosting, and uh, you know, I have a highly, I had a highly, a highly traumatized background, so that really, uh, from really through me in a way so um, in a way would you say that at that point it was less a question of who am i than how can i heal uh no at that point it was who uh, how can i heal yes yes it was how can i heal but the who am i w was so central to that yes because i under i understood at that point you know like when, when you get down to vibr you know the goenka method is really it's, it's a sort of it's a vibrational approach, which is that you get to feel sensations and then under sensations you feel vibrations and then through that they dissolve and then, you, you know, you see emptiness. Uh, and so when you, when you have that first, you know, that, that experience of vibration is, is one of also noticing change. Yes. Yeah, so... And, and that, you and that, understood what it was about and you had faith in the process. Oh, totally, yeah. But I was also enculturated by the process. So I always thought, oh, that's the only way. That's the way to do it.
but in that in that whole process because i started seeing monks and uh monks that something awoke in me you know from that tech from from wanting i really wanted to be a monk i wanted to live that life that's all i wanted to do i just wanted to live that life and when i was in thailand i had also stayed in a in a in a buddhist t temple by this very famous thai monk called ajahn buddha dasa and he was a he was a renegade um, in terms of his teachings um, and there i'd got introduced to the Ajahn Chah, the forest, Thai forest tradition, which is, and I'd got books, and, and this had set me on a trajectory which was, I was going to become a monk. So when you look back on it, why now? Why do you think now you became a monk? monk? Oh, uh, oh, I became a monk because, well, there's two, re there's two things, there's two processes in that. So first one was, there was no option, right? It was a clear calling. So I didn't do any research, right? Very little research. I just had this such strong urge. You see, I came back to England after this four years of traveling. I went and lived in a Goanka center for another, I think, year and a half or two years. And I couldn't stop the calling. I couldn't, in England, I, I couldn't stop the calling. I've got to become a monk. And I left the Goenka center in England. I cycled to the monastery and I, I just had this well, Amravati. Was, yeah, Amravati. And I had this clarity. I had this I, I call it clarity now, but I had this absolute knowing I had to become a monk. So and just so that, to make that's clear, what, Amravati is uh, uh, the uh, a Buddhist center just north of London, just for yeah. listeners. But I mean yeah. just before you go on to that, uh, yeah. you went to Tibet. What what why did you and what happened in Tibet? Well just uh it's such a has a mystique. It, it it has more than a, yeah it's more than a mystique there's the there's the the it's just a powerful place do you know what i mean Be, because not a lot at that time not a lot of westerners had gone and i was comp i i went there because that's what you're supposed to do type of thing do you know what i mean that's yeah. where the dalai lama is i met the you know that i met the dalai lama in india later on but um i went there I don't actually know why I went there. It was on the list type of thing, yeah. and it was just yeah. a. It was just one of those things that I had to do, and I was very well protected. It's really bizarre. So, th so I went to the most. I went to the furthest point in China, and I was stuck. I didn't know how to get from this point to, to start to get into illegal. To, What's illegal for Westerners in Tibet? It's called the Tibetan Autonomous Prefecture. So I went for a walk, and I ended up in a in a in a Tibetan monastery, and I was having this meditation practice. So I went and sat with the monks. I was quite arrogant. I just went and sat with them, and they all got a bit upset and said, "You got to leave, go out." But one of the monks came up to me. He said. And he said, like, he tried to say, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to get to see the Dalai Lama, you know, and I had a picture of him, you know, I'm going to India, I'm going, I want to go to Tibet. And he just went like this. And I thought, oh, so sorry, yeah, I saw I'm drawing a half circle, a semicircle. And he drew that semicircle on the ground. And I thought, he's telling me there's another way to get to Tibet. There's another way, there's another route, there's something that I'm missing. So I went back, I asked in the hotel and they said, oh yeah, there's this bus ride that you can get on. 
Yeah, but that from that bus ride, it was completely illegal for Westerners to do that. I knew that. So I hid everything. I hid myself. I got on the bus. And as soon as I got on this bus, this kid came to me and he spoke, he spoke fluent English. He says, what are you doing on the bus? Where are you going? He's, and I said, I'm going to Tibet. He says, OK, you're coming to my house. You can come and stay with me. And he knew it was illegal. And I stayed in his house and he got me on the road to this illegal trip to Tibet. And he put me on the on uh, hitchhiking and then I found the next person and so on and so forth. Quite an so, adventure. Yeah, so I was really guided in that way through all of this. And if I just come back to the story about the, monast the monastery, so in the, f the first place is, is this calling and clarity part. Yeah. But the, the deeper side of it was that I was very traumatised uh -huh. and that really going to the monastery was a place of safety. And it was it was like I, I, it's very hard to explain explain that when I went to the monastery I fell in love. This place was so beautiful and so welcoming and so loving and. And, and the abbot there was uh, was it Sumedho at the time? Yeah, uh, no, actually it wasn't. He was there, but it. it uh, oh no, he was. Um, yes, he was the abbot then. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he just taken it back. Ajahn Sumedho, he was the abbot. Yeah. And I had just arrived. I arrived at the time of the temple opening, mm. when, it, when the official temple, temple opening. So every meditation teacher you could think of on the, who was anybody that anybody arrived, just as I a few weeks after I arrived, about a month after I arrived. And it was quite an extraordinary experience to see all these teachers come from all over the world to Amravati to bless the temple, to open the temple. And... Uh, so what year was this? Oh, God. Um, I can't really remember. Uh, I th think around 2000 the temple opened and I became a novice. I became a, nov um, a Anagarika, which is like a postulant, a pre-novice monk the, in 2001. Um, and... Uh, and I never left there. Again, you know, I was just completely committed to that way of life you know and yeah I mean at the detriment of my in the beginning at the detriment from my family and everything so hmm. yeah but uh, it didn't matter yeah and so uh, what did you get from it then from being there and from meditation and overall in the end yeah looking back on it I mean that you oh, complete, you... uh, yeah, yeah, I comple completely, 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 uh, so it's a really, tr <laughs> it's so tricky, these, these things, but ultimately I found out who I was, you know, I mean, ultimately, yeah, I mean, I did, I, I it was a, an am it was an amazing journey, but it's, a, it was a complicated one as well, because there was a, you know, there was a, a lot of politics and, you know, got very messy. I, li I lived at Amravati for 10 years and then I decided to leave there and I went freelance for another five and travel around the world under my own steam. And, you know, so it's an ex at what point in that journey, that 10 years and then that five years or whatever, yeah. did you come across the Headless Way? I actually came across the Headless Way at the monastery because there, there was a fellow monk there um, who introduced me to Douglas and and to his teachings and then i had a lot of 
the abbot of the monastery, Ajahn Sumedho, just pointed to this is it. Actually, he, he asked, he was always saying, stop meditating, Amranato, because I had this mindset of meditation. You know, I'd done so much sitting practice, you know, I could sit for hours, you know. I, I thought that to be a good meditator, you, you know, I'd heard somewhere you need to sit for seven hours without moving and I could do five hours and long stretches and all this stuff. But he said, you know, stop meditating. So I had what, to... What did you make of that? Well, and now I make it was that I had a mindset of a meditator and, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a block, mm. you know, rather than actually understanding what is the purpose of meditation. And, it, and, you know, he was saying, well, to wake up, to find out who you are, you know, to rest, uh, embrace uh, anatta, you know, which is non-self, absence of self. And so all these concepts, I started, to, you know, it, it all started to sort of click a little bit. And um, but then I was introduced to Douglas's book, you know, on having no head, which didn't quite make sense in the beginning. And I had to work at it a bit. But anyway, I, I, I saw. I started and then I started to see Douglas's, you know, the headlessness and emptiness really clearly. And. Uh, and I still I had this doubt about you know, being a monk, even then, again, and... What was and the whole, um, I think then it was uh, really being caught in a tradition, you know, mm. yeah. And so I asked to do a three-month retreat, a, sol a, a solitary three-month retreat, and the monastery had been given a house uh, in a place called Boyton. I looked that up, looked that place up, Boyton, and it happened to be seven miles from Douglas's house mm -hmm. so I, I I I so when I started that's where I started to meet Douglas and Catherine quite a lot as I was going to I went down and did quite a few retreats in his house so I would always stop off and see Douglas and I went to see him before that as well so what did and you I, make of the fact that here was someone who was seeing who they were who was not a monk uh, that didn't bother me, actually. Oh. That didn't bother me. But, I mean, did it uh, inspire you to leave? No, it didn't. Nope, nope. That, that was not the, the... That wasn't the inspiration to leave. The inspiration to leave was the same reason that I joined, which was I've just always trusted in this moment of knowing. And when was the moment? What happened? The, that, that I was doing another long... So I was in Australia as a monk. Uh, uh, this last part of my monastic career, and I, I'd had a I had a really lovely time in Perth and Australia, and I was uh, yeah, and I was on a I was on a six week solitary retreat in the outback in Perth, mm. and uh, and because I'd been so busy, I'd been running lots of retreats and workshops and. Uh, really combining this, you know, headlessness and awareness with personal development and all these really funky things that I really enjoyed doing, lots of retreats. And uh, so it was a really busy time. And if you go into a, go into a six-week silent retreat, if, if you just go in and bam, and you, you, you go hardcore on the first day, it's such a shock to the system, I found. And I learned this, you know, through the monks, actually, in the monastery, a way of winding down. So in that first week in the monastery... Uh, sorry, in a, on the, on that retreat, I took a couple of books. One was about community, and the other one was about um, childhood development. 
Mm. And um, so I read these two books in the first week while sort of winding down and starting to to meditate more in a formal way. And I woke up one morning with this thought which just said, uh, stop being a monk. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it was not, uh, there was no thinking around it. It's really clear. I didn't think that my way to that point, it just arose. And it was a moment of absolute clarity. And I knew from the way that I entered the monastery, it was that same moment. It was that same absolute yeah. knowing. And all I did was I just doubted that thought for the next, whatever it was, six weeks. I kept saying to myself, you, sh you know, is this really the case? And every time I'd hear a yes. And then I left there and I went back to where I was living, which was really nice. And I had everything I really wanted in my life. I'd just been offered a piece of land to build my own sort of monastery. And I still, and it still came up, yeah. you have to leave. So that's what I did. I had to leave and uh, that was it. I had, a, I had about four weeks after that time to leave Australia because I had a religious workers visa. So everything moved quite fast after that. And that was it, yeah. So uh, w w from your point of view now, Yes. What do you think, uh, uh, how do you relate headlessness with meditation and even mindfulness? Uh, uh, I don't know if those are the same things for you or not. What, what yeah, your, that, go on, sorry. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this question and I thought maybe we could just do it practically, if that would be all right. We could just yes. explore it now, if that's all right. Yes. So I'd like to just give a very short mindfulness exercise now yes. that we, do, we just do all together. Listener can do it if they like. So it's, only, it's just a, a body-based practice. So if we do it together, then, we, then I'd just like to explore that. Is that all okay. right? Yeah, very good. Yeah, great. Okay. So what I would encourage you to do is just, you know, I'm saying this for the people listening, you know, is to, um, it's just to make yourself physically comfortable you know you don't have to put yourself in a position of meditation but something that keeps your back straight and your head on head and shoulder fairly upright and just to uh, sort of attend to the present moment and the way that I like to do that so we've got our eyes open or closed yeah we can you can do it closed if you like yeah okay. yeah if you want and uh, to bring your attention to your breathing and a way of doing that is just, you know, I found can be helpful, especially if you're new to this, is to put your hand on your belly and sort of breathe into your hand. So you get this sense of breathing in the belly and just to receive the way that your body is. And just to notice the physical, you know, sometimes where we hold tension, our shoulders not try to get rid of it, but just to notice how it is. Uh, notice how your back is, your uh, legs, knees, ankles, and just this quality of breathing in and breathing out, you know, the mouth gently closed, breathing through the nose. And uh, uh, what I'd just like to encourage you is just if you see what it's like to extend, we're just going to play with the breath, which is just to extend the out breath. So it's called 7-11 breathing. So if you breathe in for 7 and out for 11...
and then out for 11. So your out breath is slightly longer than your in breath. And if you're an experienced, you know, you've got some experience of meditation, you might also be able to observe this process of breathing in for seven and breathing out for 11 and noticing what that's like. So if you just do this for a few more breaths and then a few more times. Breathing in for seven, breathing out for 11. And maybe your thoughts are running around a bit, that's also all right. And then just let go of that 7-11 breathing and just like survey your body and your mind and your the, the quality of what it's like, how it feels right now, just by, you know, this short paying attention to the body and the breath and slightly changing the way that we breathe. And then when you're ready, you can just open your eyes and come back. So I wonder how that, how was that experience for you, Richard? What, yeah, what it's you, calming. It's calming, isn't it? It's really lovely. Yeah. 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 So th this is just a manipulation of the nervous system. You know, the 7-11 breathing works with the vagal, vagus nerve, which allows us to calm down, you know. But what I notice is that this has got the mindset of the observer, you know, somebody observing and somebody doing a practice. Yes. Right. So you can get into all of that. You can have fantastic experiences and feel wonderful and blissed out and your body feels great, you know. It's, it's all fantastic. But it, it has nothing to do with headlessness at all. You know, the sense of being awake here is there is no, uh, you know, when I look here right now, I don't see any vibrations or calm or peace or or vagus nerve or nothing. I don't see that. I, so I mean, in I, terms of headless jargon, it's aware. It's what's happening in the content. Yes, and, it, and you're not articulating the space that you're aware of it from. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So these are two. These are two different things. And to get caught up in this, you know. So a lot of the mindfulness movement is about just, you know, making your body comfortable you know and healing certain things which is really good for and you is know. it also i mean uh, often a, perhaps a misconception about meditation is that it's about stopping thinking yeah i mean and that 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 i was really see that was the great gift of being in the monastery was that ajahn samedo was a master of 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 what is called chitta which is mind being aware of the mind being aware of thoughts and that was fundamentally different from the goenka technique so Gayanka was much more about being aware of sensations uh, and sort of don't worry too much about the thoughts. And what I learned in the monastery was to really a bit have the ability to observe and not react to the thinking process. And that, that, really, that, really, freed, that really freed me up because I'm, I've got an extremely fast mind and I've got a very... Um, I can... Do mul I can think multiple things at the same time, and so I could never really calm my mind down. And so, but was, was Samedo clear then that it was not about stopping thinking; it was about being aware of thinking? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was, so I, I never really got 
caught up in that. Although, you know, because that idea of stopping thinking, the only way you can really stop thinking is by having a frontal lobotomy, you know, to take, <laughs> the, take the executive function out. You know, you can calm it down through the, through the jhana practices, the more concentration techni uh, uh, techniques. A bit but like what we just did. Yeah, but the thing is, you have to cut, in the end, you have to return, right? So what, you know, you have to return, return to, to ordinary life. Yes, return to ordinary life, you know, and I, and so um, that whole idea of trying to control or stop your thinking process, you know. So how do you make in your own mind, I don't know, uh, the step from mindfulness, awareness of breathing and thoughts calming yeah. to being aware of who you really are? So classically, yeah, the, the classic thing is that, you know, and this is even within Buddhism, Buddhism is that the observer has to collapse on itself, right? So that, it, it, you know, you, you, you use the observing mind to, to, to collapse, uh, so, or subject-object, or whatever you want to call it. And if you get caught, with, caught up in mindfulness or meditation, you, what you do is you prolong that process because you're just always in the observer mind, you're always observing something. Rather As if than, you're a thing observing. Something. Yes, that's right. And you become you become a thing. You become you become a meditator, which is what I did. You know, I became a meditator. And then headlessness just completely steps steps over that totally. You just have a direct seeing of pure subjectivity. And so, what's why would you why would you want to meditate? Well, actually, I think one of the reasons you would want to meditate is that mindfulness is a way of remembering. That's all. It's a way of remembering as a uh, who you are, so you just use it as a remembrance practice. Um, and the other side, the other part of mindfulness, which I've interesting, I found I've I've gone back to a bit of a formal practice because I've been diagnosed with high eye pressure, and uh, the research says that the the best thing, one of the best things besides medication for high eye pressure is mindfulness. It reduces it reduces high eye pressure by twenty five percent. So it's interesting that that's on a physical level. So mindfulness, in the sense of awareness of breathing, uh, can be used to calm the nervous system and yeah. to help you physically. Yeah, it can help you yes. physically. You know, and if you if you if you're, it can also see it can also allow you to see who you are. But that journey is a lot longer than just pointing being pointing here as well. You what know, do you mean? Well, you know, if you keep if you keep observing. Uh, really and you observe the observer that all dissipates it does it does you know my that's also my experience in more formal meditation practices you know that there is there is all of that 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 you mean if does. you pers persevere long enough finally you uh, are the space observing whatever's going on oh uh, well you not not even that you, you know the observer goes you're just you reckon you recognize just pure subjectivity that that's it well, but, I mean, the, the, but the headless way is a lot easier in this way because you direct, you know, it's just it directly you're directly seeing who you are, you know. And so when I, at that point, when I, when in my own uh, development as a monk, you're you're just sandpapering, you know, you're sandpapering the ego, so the ego gets really reduced in a way. And and you can clearly see more more of who you are. And of course, with a, I also had a ton of psychotherapy to go with it, which also helped. So that that's you know the, for me that's what happened. 
but but that you know so do you need a formal meditation practice to practice headlessness no of course you don't you know you can you can see you know it's you can anybody can see that see it for themselves so one of the 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 things that as i understand it in terms of meditation buddhism is yeah. metta which is sort yeah. of uh, loving kindness how, yeah. how do you relate to that now from your awareness of of headlessness who you really are whatever you want to call it yeah do you do that do you do a I, I i i so i i don't i don't because i, I because in a way the space uh, aware uh, being headless doesn't have meta in it there, there there is no there is nothing there is no not there's you know or you call it love or unconditional you know meta means unconditional love there is none of that there because it just is it this is what it is it, and it, it, it doesn't have any qualities but you can go upstream and use it you so upstream i mean in terms of your personality and you can and you can develop and and embrace uh, meta and unconditional you know a uh, sort of unconditional positive regard or unconditional love you know um you know and my my basic characteristic as a personality is anger right and in buddhism the opposite for anger is is to develop meta you know um and the and the the the, the traditional meta practices you see come comes from a cult you know comes originally from an indian culture where where you would where you would have seen a lot more metta a lot more kindness in your early years yeah and you would have had that wired into you and so you could have re-accessed it as a as a as a personality in the west we don't have that we we rarely get that as children and we don't really see it that much you know in a in western educated society so i remember once i i went with a monk a monk came over from Asia whose only practice was metta so all you do all day long I went on a seven-day retreat with him and practiced metta and one of the classic ways of developing metta within the Buddhist tradition is you know you you think about a family member you really love and all of this it just didn't work for me mm. I don't have that connection that conditioning in my in my body with that amount of love right and so it, it wouldn't start with the engine wouldn't start and I just got in a really mess with it all. So um, that's not the case now, right? It's different. I can, you know, um, and then Goenka had a different method of meta, which was also quite beautiful as well. Yes. So, uh, so you know, and also science gives us something much better, you know, also in terms of, you know, um, uh, a heart coherence, you know, where you where you go into your heart and you really sit in it. And you breathe into your heart, and you breathe these positive, these these lovely words of love, and all of the rest of it. And that that really does work for me. And I, you know, that, that that's a beautiful space to be in, and also to connect with other people. You know, if I drop into it now, no, I just there's just this war, <laughs> smiling. Yeah, there's just this warm heart, warm-hearted openness towards you, Richard, towards the space. You know, and to, uh, that I can receive the world you know the you know right now the queen's died i can receive her in that space the suffering that's going on in the world you know it's 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 it you know and i can feel that love and connection so you are someone who has uh 
committed yourself at certain points in your life fully to, to uh, in particular, to being a, a monk and to meditation. Uh, you've left that world now, and uh, I'm imagining you have lots of different thoughts about that world. Uh, but do, do you now have um, a sense of what you're committed to? Uh, yeah, I'm never, I've not, and I, actually I, I never committed to Buddhism, although, you know, my name's Amranato. I mean, I, I kept that because so much of my life has been, but, you know, I'm only, I, I'm committed to uh, a headlessness or awareness or whatever you want to call it, God, I don't know, whatever that word is, I'm committed to that and I'm committed to where that takes me. Right, so that brought me into the monastery. It brought me into my, you know, this traumatized part of myself. It brought me out of the monastery. It brought me into relationship, and and that's all I'm committed to. That's it. it. That hasn't changed. It doesn't matter about the outside appearance. I don't really care about that so much. You know, whether I was wearing monk's robes or lay jeans or whatever or naked, <laughs> even. But <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter. What I am committed to is that, and living from this, living from this in every every experience, and I put it under every, you name, you know, I've tested this out relentlessly, you know, when I when you know I've been ill lots of times, lots and lots of times, unfortunately, you know, and I keep testing it out. I tested it out when I had a anaphylactic, you know, I had a huge reaction where my throat uh, got. Um, swelled up and all the rest of it you know I'm breathing what do you stopped. mean you tested it out well I tested it I said you know so your your body's shaking all over the place you can't breathe yeah um and uh can you see who you are oh, I see. you know yeah and then I think yeah I can can I use my calming uh technique yes I can you know so calm the body down as it's flipping all over the place yeah and then uh rest in this space you know, and then after that experience, they, you know, I had to go to hospital. They checked my blood pressure, and it was it was even, you know. But it's not, you know, I'm not saying I I have equanimity all the time, you know. I'm a, if I'm, someone, I mean, from your experience now, yeah, which draws on, uh, you know, both Buddhism and the Headless Way and therapy and yeah. all your life experiences. Yeah. So if someone says to you now. How, uh, this headlessness is a common question. I yeah. can see who I am, but how do I keep it going? What's your response to that? How, how do you keep it? What's your advice? My my advice is that you also include your personality in that equation. Okay, so you can, and and that you get that you get to know yourself. Uh, uh, more clearly, which happen, which also can happen through recognizing who you are, so that you can. Because what I found is that when I when when I'm not aware, yeah, then I'm caught up in my personality. I'm caught up in some thoughts, which f for me right now is you know, yeah, different different sets of conditions. And by knowing those conditions much more clearly, I can think. Well, I don't need to. I can just let that let that be as it is, you know. And then the other thing which has been very which has been really helpful is that you you know, I've trained myself, even I train myself as a monk, to use outside experiences to remember who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have to put eye drops in every day now 
That's my experience. So I have to lift up my head, hold the thing, so there's something pointing, so I, then I just use that. That's a reminder, stay empty. You're, you know, this is a bit of an unpleasant experience. It's going to sting, and then it goes in, and then, you know, like that. You know, or when I'm out, or when I'm on the train, or when I, you know, I spend a lot of my time with video calls. I train myself to, you know, not in a beating myself up way, not in an unkind way, not in a, this is a ritual and I'm going to give you a handbook and all the other things, but just actually use daily life, yeah, to, to see being on the train, you know, being on the plane, you know, has anybody moved? No, nobody's gone anywhere, you know, being sick, having a joyous experience, you know, and then when it's not there, you know, like I watched this really f lovely video film on on Friday. It was fantastic, you know. So do I do I do that? No, I just have a really nice time watching the film because I I know it's all fake and all the rest of it. But hey, it's a really lovely experience. In the end, it comes down to trusting yourself, trusting your own, really trusting your own experience to really you know see it really see it for yourself. You know, put it under the scrutiny, you know. Which is more peaceful? Where, where, where is there peace? Mm. Real, real peace. You know, is it in Amranato that goes ups and downs and gets moody and struggles sometimes and doesn't get things right or has a nice time and it's all really pleasant experience and all the rest of it? Or is it in the, this space? Mm -hmm. You know, we were just speaking before this call about, you know, this whole sense of, you know, that there's no end destination, you know, and that, yeah. and I think that's, that's, that's so important, you know, to, to see that, that it's a, this is a, it's a continued lived experience. And that's what's also so exciting about it. You know, what's it like now? You know, how is it now lived from this place? One of the things that I find uh, really pleasurable, interesting, inspiring, helpful, is having friends like you yes. that I can talk to about this and that uh, you've got quite different experience from me and, and the different language and all of that, but we're coming from the same emptiness and we know that. Uh, so being able to talk with others is really helpful. I mean, I know that you're in relationship with your partner and, and she shares seeing. Is that is that relevant there is that important to you that you're sharing it's it, it uh, it's uh, that was my so i had a criteria about who if i was going to find a partner after disrobing what that was what it you know what i wanted yeah and i was only going to choose i i had that as I, that's my that was my number one priority that i was only going to uh find a partner that would have this common understanding yeah uh, and and uh and um, and so that that is that is absolute blessing. Yeah. Because there there isn't a day that goes by that we're not talking about or sharing this or using it when when things are difficult. You know, because they will be difficult. It's not you know this is the human realm. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. And so. You know, and that, that's a that's a really, it's it's been so much. I've had so much growth uh, in terms of Amranato personality, yeah. of being in a relationship through headless, through that space, because then it uh, it allows 
it allows so much more to come up. And, and you, you know, this whole sense of this social aspect, it, I think is just so important. Yeah. You know, it's so important. You know, I mean, I, like, it's interesting because in some way I've taken this for, until you just said it, then I just took it for granted. You know, when I said I was at home at the monastery, it's because of having that sort of friendship in a way, you know, uh, um, and then, you know, being part of the headless community and, you know, I, sharing in that way and, and listening to other people's experience and being able to share that and say that I think is so, it, it's so important, you know, because we are social beings and interestingly all, all that, all my, all the work that I did as a monk was all around the interpersonal side of mindfulness or this, right. you know, how, yeah, how to be with one another in it because it's just, yeah, it's just so, it is so important to have friends, you know, um, to be able one of the to share this with. Yes, yeah. I, lo I love a very simple thing of being aware that your voice and my voice are happening in the same consciousness. Yes. Uh, uh, no, that is just, uh, then you sort of switch from, you know, me being Richard and you being Emma to being the space in which both of us are happening. Now, there yes. is such a, 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 a wonderful uh, thing, isn't it? I, don't, I can't praise it too highly. We, we are separate and we're one. And when you find the oneness, then I become you and you become me. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, and that, like, it's so, it, it's so interesting because really then at that point, I also find there's nothing to say. <laughs> and how you do go on about it and how i do go on about it isn't it interesting <laughs> yeah it, yeah absolutely i mean it is it's just it's well one yeah. of the things with that uh is my uh, delight that the experience is non-verbal so then that takes the pressure off trying to define it and you can enjoy talking without being uh too legalistic about it all yeah absolutely yeah and that that is that is a that's a major relief you know because i think also in the monastery you can get into the you know you can get into the technicality of oh this means that and that means that and you know and uh luckily i i didn't get into get into that um but uh you know a lot of the tradition is focused around that technicality because of it being caught up in a you know you've got to do this to get that to get the other mm. and yeah but yeah so i do in in, in yeah go on sorry well i yeah. i just uh thinking about what you were saying uh, i got the impression that now in your life and perhaps you always you know for a long time you've lived um lived in the way that you are open and seeing what happens and that's living from this true nature isn't it i mean even it is, this conversation yeah. we absolutely yes absolutely yeah it's it's kind of amazing you know like <laughs> like yes yes on friday i watched this movie yeah and then we were just talking with my partner on saturday about the movie and then i said something right and these, these things came out oh that's amazing you know like if like and I, I'd really like to attribute it to Amranato, you know, I'd love to say that was me. But it, when I look back at those things, I can't, like, I can't find where it came from. Do you know what no. I mean? I can't yeah. find the, the, the points. And so, 
like trying to attribute it, you know, give me the, the five stars and all the rest of it, just, it, it's just impossible. You know, I, yeah. and, 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 but that, 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 that's a miracle, yeah, really. It is. Yeah. And, and so, although one calls this uh, the void, it's an incredibly creative, fertile place, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's incredible, really. I mean, it is truly, it, yeah, it's just really amazing, really, really amazing yeah. to, to put your, you know, to, to put, you know, to, for me to put my trust in that and then just see what comes from that. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, you're scary and personality wants to get in the way again and reclaim it and say it's me and all of that. Mm. And that's also the beauty of also having friends and all the rest of it, because that all gets put again back into perspective. Yes. You know. Uh, and, and other people's realizations at that level are your own. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then, of course, all of this. The 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 other thing that was really impactful about the headlessness and and just really seeing that is that once you see from this place, you you know this this incredible creativity is that you when you start reading scriptures or any of these things it all comes alive yes it, it just takes a totally different meaning you know like so you know i was saying about my jewish background you know and i i still i still support the jewish community i, I got involved with them when i was a monk they invited me to go back and so and i still do that work so i uh, i've been uh working with a, a a lot of jewish men for a long time now and um and also introducing them to headlessness, uh, but it's this, um, you know. So and and some of the some of the retreats we've run, we theme them on what the Jewish scripture, you know, the old mm -hmm. test, you know, the Bible says. And of course, when you read it on a one level, it does. It's like gobbledygook, right? You know, it it doesn't it doesn't really mean much. But when you when you read it from the from from this void. It's a complete. It's a, it, it, it becomes so alive. Do you need yeah. the technology? No, you don't. But if it's your first language, okay, well, fine. You know, um, yeah. and the same with Buddhism, and the same with other uh, um, uh, other well, uh, I was teachers. Thinking, yes, I was thinking recently of a quotation. A lot of people will know from Rumi. There is a field yeah. uh, where. Uh, where I, I am you or something and you are me I will meet you there and yeah. I thought well actually that I am there now Rumi yes. and I'm yes. saying hello to you now Rumi your voice now is in me and hello it it it, it you un, as you say you understand these things that people say in a new way and you hear where it's coming from you hear where it's isn't that amazing you hear yeah. where it's I just think that's so incredible incredible I it mean, is incredible yeah because yeah. the space is not in time or space. So uh, uh, my voice is coming out in the same place that those words of Rumi came from. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think the other thing that is, that, and this is, I think, pretty uni unique, is that uh, once you see this, all the other stuff that other spiritual teachers might try and pull fast ones on, you know, and give you, the, uh, give you a tug here or there and everywhere, it just doesn't work because 
because you know what's what. And yeah. and that and and that and, you know and anything so, do you know? Yeah. So why are you, why are you playing those games? You know, there's no there, you don't why why are you doing that? And I think that's that's absolutely that's revolutionary because in that way, it, it, you know. And also, I see maybe I mean this is my own view that you know, the well we become much more flat in terms of society. You know, there's less. There's a natural hierarchy, you know, and then there's the, you know, but in terms of our experience of who we are, uh, that that's flat, and and nobody can pull those those numbers anymore. And I think yeah. that's such, you know, the modern jargon of empowering, but I think it really is to empower people to see that, yeah, because yeah. then that's real. That is the, that is real trust. That is real ownership. And and uh, and when you put that within a social context. You know, and you start sharing that and speaking from that. That is, that's I mean, rock, rocket fuel. When you with others who are oh, I, aware of that, yeah, uh, you enjoy that together. Oh know? yes, oh yeah, because but, it, because there's yeah, because what? Well, because there's no competition. There's nothing. There's no. There's nothing in the way. There's just well, you're sharing from that place. It can be you know it's so so much fun. You know, and also you know like when I came as a monk. You know, there was also this absolute level of of acceptance. You know, and now I come not as a monk, and there's still the same level of acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still the same old void. Yeah, exactly, the same old void. Nothing, nothing's changed. You, know? you haven't changed at all. <laughs> no, isn't that isn't that that's so that is that is amazing though. You know, to think that you've not changed one iota all through this whole damn journey, not once, not, not, there's not, nothing's changed. God, that's, that's just mind, mind blowing, isn't it, really? And that, you know, and I can say that to you, and you recognize that oh, in yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that? I mean, that, it's just, it's joyous. It is, it is. It's wonderful, yes. Yeah. The other thing that, uh, I wonder about your uh, thoughts on is uh, I, I, as you know, have this uh, view that uh, becoming aware of who you really are is a natural phase of development. So from a baby, you become aware of what you look like and that is normal. And then you identify with the one in the mirror, you know, and as an adult, you've forgotten the space. It's still there, but you're not aware of it. You're identified with being a person. And then the next natural phase is to reawaken to your true nature. It's not anything out of the ordinary. But I, I imagine you would agree with that. T totally. Uh, and I, I, I mean, yeah, this, uh, I, I do think that the, it's a developmental journey. Yes. Because, I mean, there's this idea some, in some places that being aware of who you really are is somehow on a different track and just out of the ordinary, whereas it's not. No, no. How, how, you know, how could it be? Because like, even when we say that language, it, it means that there's already a split. So there is something and then doing something and then some other experience. So that doesn't seem to tally up when I look here when there, there is no split. So and, where, uh, what, what do you think the development is? What, in this, in this what we might call you know, the baby, child, adult, seer. In the stage of the seer, what, what are the characteristics, do you think? Because you can easily, if we put it in that normal uh, developmental model, then you can pick out various stages of development and what is healthy and what is not healthy. 
do you have any off the top of your no head any thoughts about that i have quite a lot of thoughts about that <laughs> <laughs> and i notice i notice i feel slightly nervous about uh, about this about this particular area because i i i've I put a lot of effort into it myself about exploring this oh, um, a lot, yeah, and um, and it's also the way that I I I've worked. So um, so it's a sort of that old adage of you know, um, is it immediate or gradual? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's a sort of rehash of that. Like the seer qualities are the are the things from the pointing out experiments, you know, like there, there's it's empty, there's no color, no shape, no thought, no you know, pure subjectivity, not knowing, uncertainty, paradox, you know, all these labels which mean nothing because there's no experience happening here anyway, you know, and yet it includes all those experiences on the the outward facing, and then I think those, I you know, it's that question of well, what what's required for that shift to happen, you know. What shift? The shift from from not seeing who you are and deciding to stay as an adult, you know, to get caught up in that I am somebody and, you know, I'm part of a culture mm. and I'm part of society to I'm not part of culture, I'm not part of society, I'm everything. Mm. Uh, my my own personal way is I've worked that I've worked developmentally with that. So I choose to not always go straight to headlessness. With that in that way, because you, of that, you're that. working with someone, as a yeah, friend. yeah, yeah, and I, you know, yeah, uh, and yeah, I notice I'm a little bit, I always feel I'm cautious now, <laughs> I'm treading cautiously, oh, I mean, cautiously I, with it. With well, that, I can say something here when I was yeah. a psychotherapist for many years, which I loved being a psychotherapist, I didn't talk about headlessness in therapy. Because yeah. they had not come for that. I mean, if yeah. on the rare occasions, maybe once or twice, someone asked about it, so I shared. But yeah. if they come, they come for deal with bereavement or, you know, bullying at work. Yeah. So it would be disrespectful to impose my thing. Yeah, absolutely. But it's where I'm coming from. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're working with a client, it sounds as though you would uh, not introduce headlessness. I totally get that. Uh, you, But you're uh, coming from headlessness and you would work with whatever you felt was appropriate. Right. Yes. So, yeah, I'm not a therapist. I'm, a, I'm an executive coach. And maybe you try and sort of maybe give a little example, which is I work with somebody, you know, who I can see from my meditation and mindfulness experience, yeah, uh, 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 is really quite meditative and contemplative yeah so then so then i think well that in a way that's just knowledge do you know what i mean that, you know and then so how do you uh, help a person like that just get get more clear about themselves around that yeah and then see that whole subject object world that there is actually somebody observing that and then through that there may be another conversation that could happen but the point is is to come from space first as you said yeah. Um, yeah. It's a. Uh, well, the development goes on. One is home and dry. One is seeing who one is, and that is a hundred percent. 
and in the outward direction, as you called it, there is an unfolding, and that is never ending. Never, never ending. Yeah, I mean, and my journey from leaving the monastery has been, it's been so powerful, really, of see, of just seeing so much more of myself in that. You know, yeah. has the space changed? No. Yeah, has has Amranato changed? Yes. You know, and uh, and also the capacity to receive all of that is, yeah. I'm surprised by it myself, you know. Uh, and, you know, and also to see the messiness and the craziness of Amranato and his moodiness and his up and down and, you know. Well, welcome the, to the club. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think it's also, but I think it is, you know, it's important to, that, that these things get shared in that way, you know, yes. like the, you, the, the, so that it's not like otherwise it's that goes back to that sort of, oh, you've got to be a perfect human being. But that, that's, that's uh, mixing the, the two places up, yes, you know. Yes. Perfection and equanimity and all that is here. Yes. You know, and you might have a, quite an equanimous, you know, like we think about the Queen, you know, I, I see her as quite, having quite an equanimous, I don't know her, but I mean, seeing her as quite an equanimous personality, you know, in terms of her experience, quite phenomenal in a way. But that isn't the same experience of equanimity that when I look here, that's different because here yeah, it just it's not it, it, an achievement it's just given no for, for everyone yeah. it's given for everyone yeah. and it and it really doesn't change no. i mean it really does not it does no. not it hasn't moved from the dial what like one iota whether you know amronato's <laughs> com, c complaining or doesn't like it like yesterday i was doing, doing some diy and i'm not the you know i'm learning how to do all this stuff since you know, since leaving the monastery and, you know, the wind's blowing, the rain's coming in and I'm wet and cold <laughs> and fed up and swearing at the wind and, you know, give me a break, you know. And then it's all just a lot, you know, and then, on the, on the, and then it's all just a cosmic joke as well, isn't it? Because it's just like, well, yeah, it is. You know, I can put on another jacket. I can wear another hat. You know, I can close the door from the rain. They're all practical things. But here, yeah. It doesn't care whether the door gets fixed or not. Well, wonderful to talk to you, Amrinata. Is there <laughs> anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to mention or uh, add to the conversation? No, I think it's been it's been very rich. It's been really it's been so lovely speaking with you. Uh, yeah. yeah, and catching up in this way, really lovely. Yeah, really lovely. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. Well, Beautiful. Wonderful to uh, be with yeah. you. Uh, yeah, I guess also, you. yes, and I guess also just to acknowledge all the work that you do, that, you know, you do a tremendous amount of work, and I just thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, a pleasure. Yeah. 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 Well, I'd like to have you in the space and to have you as a friend and yeah. to share you with uh, listeners and to have two voices in one consciousness here. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you. <laughs>